0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620.
1: And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I swear, stuff like this makes my head want to explode. As we talked about on multiple occasions last week, this... this These protests about what is going on in Georgia are almost comical. I mean, let's review the bidding quickly. Everybody knows that Georgia passed in the aftermath of the 2020 elections, Georgia passed a series of of voting reforms. So we discussed last week, reasonable people can agree about whether some of these reforms are are in the interest of the public or, or not. But president biden in a shameful amount of, of race pandering just race baiting you know, he denounces these reforms as, as jim crow and of course the the mainstream media ends up picking that up i mean and it's just you, you go through what georgia did and again reasonable people can say okay does this make any sense or or not but it, but it's not jim crow i mean in in georgia you can still vote early Um, What you can do is that one of the restrictions was that you now have to request an absentee ballot, uh, what, 75 days, two and a half months before an election instead of six months. Well, okay, you, you, you can argue, all right, should you be able to request one six months? But really requesting an absentee ballot three months instead of six months, that that's some sort of significant limitation. I mean, seriously, you know, give me a break that. The the way some of this has been characterized is just almost comical. But again, it plays into the narrative that's out there. And then, of course, you have all these reactions. Major League Baseball and this huge knee jerk reaction decides: all right, we're we're going to make a statement. So we're going to pull the Major League Baseball All Star Game from a predominantly a majority minority city in Atlanta, and we're going to move it to a city that's seventy six percent white in Denver. OK, <laughs> right. You, you've really said something. All you're doing is hurting the black owned businesses in Atlanta. On top of that, even the new Georgia law is less restrictive when it comes to voting than, say, the New York state law, where the commissioner of baseball lives or the Delaware law, where Joe Biden lives when he's not in Washington. I mean, it's just it's these sort of knee jerk reactions. And here's the latest example of that. And look, I understand that nobody ever said these Hollywood actors or actresses and the Hollywood producers of the sharpest knives in the drawer. But you want a great example of virtue signaling. here's, Here's it. You know, Will Smith, famous actor, very, very talented. Will Smith is getting ready to make a movie about runaway slaves. And the movie was set to be filmed in Georgia. Now, one of the reasons why a lot of movies and TV shows are filmed in Georgia is they have a very, very aggressive program where they give tax breaks to to movie companies. They make it financially attractive to, to do so. So a lot of places, in order to save money, they, they locate to Georgia. So Will Smith says, all right, well, here's the deal. This is I'm looking at a copy of Variety now where we we cannot in good conscience make our new movie. It's called Emancipation. We can't make it in Georgia because, well, I'm so offended by the, these rules. You know, how, how can we do this? So we're we're going to move it. All right. So then the question is, where are you going to move it? Well, they decide that they're going to move it to Louisiana which is actually where the, the book that the movie is based on set. We're going to show Georgia. We're going to move it to Louisiana. All right. Now, what is the question that inquiring minds want to know? You get three guesses, but the first two don't count. Well, the, the, the only guess that counts is if you're moving from Georgia because you've got a beef with the Georgia election laws and you're moving to Louisiana, the question should be, hey, what about the election laws in Louisiana? How do they compare to the ones in Georgia? Now, wait for this. Louisiana has some of the most restrictive voting laws in the country. For example, in Georgia, just like in Wisconsin, you have no excuse absentee voting. You don't have to have a reason. All you can request your ballot, then you get it, and all you have to do is say, Hey, I, I'm unwilling to vote on election day, and you can vote early, right? That that's how it works in Wisconsin, that's how it works in Georgia. And that's what leads to the huge, you know, use of of mail-in ballots and things of the like. Louisiana is one of only, I believe, seven states that does not allow no excuse absentee voting. In other words, before you can vote absentee in Georgia by mail or otherwise in in, in Louisiana, what you need to do is you need to fill out an affidavit saying that you fit into one of a handful. Of, of relatively narrow categories in order to vote. Otherwise, you are not allowed to vote absentee. Now, if you can, again, argue the merits of this one way or the other, but if you want to look at something that really does restrict mail-in balloting sufficiently, and if you believe mail-in balloting is the key to voter participation, Louisiana is so much more restrictive than Georgia. But yet Will Smith, who wants to virtue signal and wants to be upset with the Georgia law, says, we're going to move to Louisiana. And of course, nobody says Well, have you looked at the voting laws in Louisiana? Just like nobody says to Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, huh, you live in New York, you're pulling the all-star game from Atlanta. Have you looked at what's going on in New York State? Again, it's nothing but virtue signaling, and it just drives you absolutely crazy because people think that they're making a difference, and they're really not. When we come back, let's talk about what's going on in Minnesota as we speak. Jeff
0: Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Was it a riot, a protest, or both? Once again, uh, Minneapolis being rocked with Protests, riots, fill-in-the-blank following another shooting. Now, of course, right now, the Derek Chauvin trial, Chauvin trial is still is going on. It, I haven't talked a lot about it because, to me, it seems like it's, it's basically been a, a long guilty play. I mean, I, if you're not in court every day, you, you don't really know what every witness is saying. But my general sense is that uh, the prosecution is presenting an extremely strong case um, in the death of George Floyd. Um, now... I I think my sense is this officer is going to be convicted. Some of the other officers, that might be a tougher battle, but I think he's going to be convicted. But anyhow, yesterday afternoon, about 10 miles or so away from where all the George Floyd stuff happened, police pull over a car driven by a 20-year-old black man. It's still unclear as to why his car was pulled over. His mother says he was being pulled over because of uh, uh, perhaps an air freshener that's out there. Eric Bielstadt, do we have something going on?
2: Well, yeah, regarding this story, we have some breaking news on this case now that we're learning about this police shooting that happened yesterday that you're referring to, Jeff. The man died after being shot by police during a traffic stop, which sparked all this. Well, now police are saying that it was an accident. And should not have happened in this way. Police officer who fired the single shot that killed Dante Wright intended to use his taser, according to the police chief. Instead of using the taser, discharge his weapon, killing Wright. So that's the news that we're just learning this past half hour.
1: Right, which does it? it right, which does in, in some respects make make sense that that something had to go wrong because the law is very very clear that you don't. You you don't you're not allowed to use deadly force unless you are presented with a situation where the person that you know that you're using deadly force against is about ready to use deadly force on you or someone else, and there, there was never any talk about a firearm. What apparently happened in this circumstance is the police pull over the vehicle driven by the 20 year old man. Um it's unclear as to what the basis was for the the traffic stop his mother says she was in phone contact with him and he was pulled over for having an air freshener dangling from the rearview mirror now for those of you who wonder the um it is it is technically a violation of of many traffic ordinances to have stuff Around your um, or around your rearview mirror and dangling. Now, many of us, I I confess, I used to do that. I used to have some stuff that I would dangle around my rearview mirror because I, I had a car that was kind of ubiquitous, and it helped me find my car in a sea of gray SUVs. I always knew that it was mine because there were some like Mardi Gras beads that were hanging around the, the rear view mirror. Technically, that is a violation of the law. Now, I don't know, at least thus far, whether that was the justification they used to pull over the vehicle, but that's, that's what, what happened. They pull over the vehicle. The guy gets out of the car. Apparently, he has an outstanding warrant for his arrest. I don't know right now what the warrant was for. Maybe they're discussing that now during the press conference. Don't know what the warrant was for. But he decides, this would be he being the young man, decides that he, he he's, he's not going to cooperate, he's not going to surrender. He gets in the car, starts to drive away. According to what Eric Bil- Bilstadt said, the police say that they were trying to restrain him. The officer intended to use his taser, used his gun, shoots the man. Guy gets in the car, he has been shot, he drives a couple blocks. He's got his girlfriend in the car with him, drives a couple blocks, and then smashes into a, another car, they go up and they find him. He's dead. Presumably, he's dead from the the gunshot wound, but he was able to drive a little bit. It, it's it's a bad situation all around. Just a bad situation all around, and I, I've all morning i was waiting for the explanation because candidly a- unless there was going to be an argument that the guy had a gun or something it- it's the-, the police are, are wrong it- it's a it's a bad shooting bad shooting in the sense that you, you don't you don't shoot fleeing people you, you don't shoot people who um, are trying to escape you only shoot if you believe that your life or the life of somebody else is in fact in danger but now we know the story they, they say it was an accident all right so What happens is this about two o'clock in the afternoon, this story breaks and immediately you have a bunch of people who show up and they they start again to to protest. This is it's a shooting of of a young black male in the area where the George Floyd situation took. And so you have a lot of protests that are going on. The protests are largely peaceful for several hours until nightfall comes. At which point in time, things gets completely out of control. The crowd goes and, and loots a, a Walmart in the area. Um, according to one of the reports, one of the managers says, all our large screen TVs were taken. So the, the, this isn't protesters. These are people who break into the Walmart, steal lots of stuff, including all the large screen TVs. Somebody else says they hit the dominoes, they hit the wing stop. Um, destroy that. There's a shopping mall apparently close. I get the idea that it's like a strip mall close to the Walmart. Um, that's hit by the rioters slash protesters. Foot Locker, T-Mobile, New York men's store, clothing store, all completely destroyed. Police say there were a number of young men who were running from the building carrying stolen goods. So you, you have people that, that showed up. And, and we're engaging in a legitimate protest that, as often happens, morphs into this opportunity to loot businesses, All right, Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One of the things that I find frustrating, again, it, it's the inability to d- distinguish. These, these were, in the beginning, peaceful protests based on, I, I think, the crowd's concern that here you have another young black man who's shot by the police and clearly under under questionable circumstances. I think that's been true from the beginning. But then it morphs into into what I think can only be described as rioting and, and looting and it takes a really, really bad turn, especially once it starts getting dark. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, that is the ACUNET mortgage talk and text line. For the people who engaged in the rioting looting the arson and all those sorts of things do those folks deserve to be prosecuted or is this one of these things that, well, okay, here you go again. You have the police engaging in this. And, and here, you know, the police, the riot squad comes out. They're shooting the concussion grenades. They've got the rubber bullets and things like that. You know, when will the police learn? eight five five six one six one six twenty My answer would be, you know, when, when will the protesters learn? And particularly when it comes to protest organizers, isn't there some responsibility to try to keep at least those people that are not there to engage in legitimate protest, isn't there some responsibility to try to keep them under control Because what happened yesterday was a protest that turned very, very bad. And don't tell me that the folks who are breaking into the Walmart and stealing every large screen TV they can find or breaking into the footlocker and seeing how many $200 pairs of tennis shoes they can get away with or breaking into the clothing store and seeing how many jackets or whatever they can walk away with. Don't tell me that those people were engaging in protests because of police activities. Those were people who were looters, pure and simple. 855-616-1620. 855 We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, the individuals that decide to go out and loot and, and steal and cause mayhem... Yes they should be arrested. I think the, I think police officers have the right and law enforcement have the right to arrest them and they need to be prosecuted to the fullest of the law. And I don't think anybody is sitting around saying that these individuals uh, nothing should be done with, done with them. And so the fact is uh, if you can't arrest an individual walking out with like a, a 60 inch screen TV, I don't understand what law enforcement is doing.
1: Well, well ex- exactly. And, you know, the, at least if you look at the timeline of what happened yesterday afternoon, it, it was pretty much under control as far as, you know, people gathering and protesting and expressing their concerns over this, even though we didn't know a lot of the facts. But that's that's fine. And then once it turned, once it got dark, what happened is I, I think you, you had those other people, the ones I would describe as the opportunists, who said, okay, th- th- this is the chance. A- and so now we're going to show up and we're going to use th- this our concern about what happened and race relations and all that, we're going to use this as our excuse to go loot the fo- Foot footlocker or get that 60-screen-inch TV that we've always wanted. And it's just, it is unfortunate because it minimizes, I, I think, Vincent, the, the legitimate concerns that people could have about why was this guy stopped in the first place, for example, which is a legitimate question. And, you know, now that they say it's an accident, how, how do you grab your taser? How do you grab your gun, not your taser? I mean, legitimate questions that I think are out there.
3: Oh, certainly, but I don't think what they do minimizes what ha- what happened to this young man. The fact is, is that these individuals, like you say, are opportunists, and this isn't this this is this is not the first the first time the first time at the rodeo. The fact is, law enforcement Forf- understands that it, when when it, when, it, when, it, when, it, when when it turns dark. That these individuals come out of their holes and they began to do it began to loot and they begin to destroy property. So they know this happens every time that there's an instance like uh, that's similar to this that these things go on. So they know the mo. So why aren't they aren't they ready and available at that particular time and begin to arrest these individuals? Yeah, no, and I don't I, understand why they allowed this to go on.
1: well, I mean, thanks, I think, my guess is, and it is just a guess, my guess is what happened yesterday in Minneapolis, in this Minneapolis suburb, is going to be similar to what happened in Kenosha in that th- th- this was a spontaneous sort of thing. It's not like, hey, we've got a verdict that's coming down. We're going to prepare for it. What what happened is I think law enforcement was caught un- unaware, just like that first night in Kenosha where... You know, you, you have all of a sudden law enforcement ends up getting outnumbered and they're in a reactive sort of situation. My guess is, even though they've lifted the curfew, my guess is it, it's going to be completely different tonight. And again, I don't know whether what they're saying changes the dynamic anymore. Is they're saying, hey, look, this was this was a mistake. I've already got people texting me. It wasn't a mistake. It was Murder. And then I got a texter saying, who cares about a theft of a TV? A boy was killed. So in other words, all right, you, you have this horrible situation involving the police. So that then justifies looting and burning and destroying. Sorry, I'm not there.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: eight five five Let's talk to Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, good afternoon.
4: Hi, Jeff. Uh um, First of all, I'd like to say I really enjoy your show. You. Uh, I guess if if all the information is in on this, um, certainly uh, I don't have any respect for looters, whether it be TV sets or whatever. Uh, unfortunately, it, it sounds like the police officer uh, did a poor job herself, which in turn...
1: Uh, yep. Yeah, led to all this. Yep. Um Right. You, you had you had, yeah. a, you had uh. a you had a you had a tinderbox, and I mean, look, people yeah. are on their last nerves because of the the George Floyd trial that's going on. This is that right. area. You have a, a stop that strikes me as questionable. I'm really going to be curious as to what the vehicle did, what the guy did to. To get pulled over in the first place, he's got an outstanding warrant. Instead of simply surrendering, he decides to flee. But that doesn't justify shooting him. It it just it flat out doesn't. So you're right. The the police officer, how how can you grab for your taser and pull your gun? I don't understand that at all.
4: Absolutely. Uh, One more thing. Uh, You, as uh, as I uh, remember, uh, you're covering lawyer or in law, right? Right. Okay. I I think part of it, and uh, I don't. You you could uh, answer this. Uh, I think that uh, just with the Floyd situation, why does it take so long? Or they were saying a month when the the it seems so obvious. What? Well, the verdict should
1: be. I mean, thanks, Nicole. That that is an interesting, but how could the trial go so long? I mean, I described it earlier as as, as, at least as an observer, and I'm not watching every minute of the trial. It it strikes me that this has kind of been a slow guilty play. You know, it took two weeks to pick the jury because of all the attention. Um, if, If I had a, maybe I had many flaws as a prosecutor, but one of those was that I, I undertried cases from time to time. I, I believe stuff was kind of self-evident. So if one witness, one believable witness could could make a point, why put three on? Because if if the defense attorney can can get some inconsistencies or whatever that's the type of stuff that reasonable doubt is created about. So I but but other prosecutors have a different philosophy and clearly in this case the the f- prosecutors don't want to be accused of if if something happens and there is an acquittal and by the way I don't think that's going to be the case but if there is an acquittal they don't want to be accused of not putting forth all the evidence they had which is why th- this trial is Probably the prosecution says it's going to take the the rest of this week, and then you know if there's a defense case that could take a couple days. Don't don't know about that, but it's just a trial strategy. But going back to the underlying situation here, I, I think I mean there are a number of questions that need to be answered, and this is not a whitewash of of police activity. I mean I think there's a number of questions starting with why was the vehicle pulled over in the first place? I mean, what What was the traffic violation that led to this being pulled over? Was it something significant or was it, hey, we're pulling over this car because the guy's got something dangling from the rearview mirror? In which case, the question becomes, how many people do you see have stuff wrapped around their rearview mirror that, that never, ever get pulled over? Then you've got the situation where the 20-year-old apparently had an outstanding warrant for something. Don't know what that was yet, but had an outstanding warrant for something. And rather than just allowing him to be taken into custody, he made the decision to flee. Then you have the police officer who makes the, the fatal And the tragic decision where she's trying to deploy, apparently, her taser to restrain the guy from fleeing, at least at that point in time, you say, okay, that's why you use a taser. And she pulls out her gun instead. Don't understand, again, how any of those things can happen. So you've got that. And I think it's very, very fair to scrutinize the police conduct and find out why did they do those things? What was the justification for the stop? What was the justification for you know, advancing and escalating these things. What exactly did he do? And I think we can all agree that the shooting was was, it was a bad shooting. It was just, there's no question about it. It was a bad shooting. That, on the other hand, doesn't justify the reaction. I guess it's troubling, because I'm getting texts from a couple of people saying, well, it, it okay, it, it was a bad shooting, and then the community deserves whatever it gets. You have this example of police misconduct, and so, of course, people are going to go loot, and who cares if we burn down stores? What difference does it make if people burn down stores and steal TVs? And what difference does it make if people loot foot lockers in different restaurants? I mean, Just look at the aftermath of what happened in Kenosha, for example, and you're talking about $30, $40, 50000000 million worth of damage, you're seriously going to tell me what difference does it make if you're trying to, uh, again, build a community? And in certain cases, a lot of these businesses that end up getting destroyed are, are businesses that are, I think, somewhat sympathetic to, to maybe some of the causes of these social justice protesters. In any event, more details are going to be emerging, but we're starting to get a picture. This was a A series of of bad decisions and mistakes, which led to a fatal outcome. My guess is things are going to be quieter tonight, in part because I think authorities are, are going to be prepared for it. And just like they were overwhelmed the first two nights in Kenosha, I doubt that authorities are going to be overwhelmed tonight. It is just unfortunate that something like this happened and things like this continue to happen. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Of course, school districts should be able to start early, I think any year, but particularly this year. About 20 years ago, the legislature passed a a law in the state of Wisconsin that said, unless you get a special waiver, unless you get a certain waiver, um, no school can start before September 1st. I thought that was a bad law. 20 years ago, I still think it's a bad law. It was a big sloppy wet kiss to the tourism industry who said, well, we, you know, we, we want, um, we want to make sure that at least through September, through the, all of, of August, people are still taking vacations. And in some of the tourist areas like the Wisconsin Dells, we don't want to lose our kids to, to going back to school because we, we want to have them through the beginning of September. I always thought that was a bad law because I think it should be up to local school districts to decide when kids go back to school. And maybe it makes sense in the Wisconsin Dells. To keep the kids you know out of school until um, September 15th I, I don't know pick a date but that doesn't necessarily mean that in Green Bay or in Manaqua or in Bayfield that everybody should have to play by those same rules all right well this is a different year here you have a lot of schools who have been either virtual or or hybrid for a portion of the year, maybe all year. In most of the urban school districts, um whether it's MPS or some of the other ones Madison, that the kids haven't been back in school. They have not had in-person learning, and the one thing we know is that for as a general rule, if you're stuck in the virtual schooling, you you are you are losing ground. Or at least most of the kids are losing ground. So more and more school districts are looking at jumping through the hoops and getting the waivers saying, okay, given that this has been a, a very, we'll say, a challenging you know, like year so far, what we want to do in an effort to try to catch up is we want to get the kids back in school sooner. And so, you know, maybe we'll start school mid-August. Maybe we'll start school early August. Our number, 855 is the Accunit Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is an absolutely tremendous idea. I, I think that... However you feel about the September 1st start date, and again, I'm a guy that would leave it up to local school districts because what works in the Dells might not necessarily be appropriate in Walwatosa, just for the, for the sake of argument. I'd leave it up to, I don't think the state has any business mandating a certain date. But in this particular year, given the fact that, you know, so much ground has been lost, I think school districts, if they're not looking really, really hard at getting getting a waiver and getting those kids back into in-person classes as soon as possible and avoiding that, that whole summer slump that you have, you know, where you knock off in June and you don't come back till September. I, I think you get the kids back as soon as you possibly can, and if that means early August, and maybe you take that first month and you do re, you know, remedial stuff or, or whatever. You, you go... You, you do a crash course on the things that people were supposed to be learning when it was virtual and give them a chance. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. I mean, it seems to me if school districts aren't doing this, um, you you should be calling up your school board members and saying, why not? Jeff, I think sending kids back to school early this year makes good sense, but I doubt most teachers' contracts permit it, and many of the teachers moonlighted other jobs in the summer and therefore might not be available. Well, um, you know, uh, you, you can live with that. Jeff, unions will throw a fit, but I think the first Monday in August – classes should start kids need anything they can get and teachers should still be the same because of this um well i mean i think that's it 855-616-1620 let's start with uh jp jp you're on wtmj good afternoon hello
2: thank you for taking my call yes i am uh i uh i come from a family of travel agents travel leaders i live in beautiful elkhart lake wisconsin and um it's not just Wisconsin Dells, I think, that uh, is going to benefit from keeping our summers as our summers. Wisconsin, we're, you know, we're, the, we're tourists. We're for tourists. And you know, everyone comes from Illinois, all over the state. We've got these beautiful lake communities. And, you know, one to two weeks can make a major, major economic impact in our communities. And last year was really tough. And... We're talking about you know weather in terms of uh, the kids going back to school. It's so so nice in August, and kids can go on vacation with their families at their leisure, just straddling the economic and the educate what's right economically and educationally. I believe that school should start after September. So you're 1st. you're,
1: you're voting you're voting for this year that the economics of a couple extra weeks of vacations are more important than the lost year of education the kids have had.
2: I don't think I'm exactly saying that, but look, we've these are two weeks, two weeks. We so they they tack back on on the on the in June. We're not talking about these kids are not going to get the education. We've got to straddle the line. The economics and the education, they're equally as important.
1: Well, I guess my question would be, given all that's going on this year, for one year, doesn't it make sense to – well, let me me ask you this. What about – What about the school districts where it's really not applicable, where the the kids don't have to to work? Do you really think by starting school on, say, August 15th, you're going to lose that much of vacation time? I mean, can't the parents just say, okay, we're going to take our vacation in late July or early August instead?
2: Right, but then your window gets a lot smaller, and it's got all those trickle-down uh you know all that that the, the trickle down impact. You know less families vacationing, mm-hmm. less families being able to stay at their lake homes longer. Um, it's it, we're talking about two weeks. You know mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's kind of splitting hairs uh, because it's not saying that the kids aren't going to get that education. The education will be there for the kids.
1: Well, I guess the, the point. The point, though, JP, Thanks. For, I mean, I appreciate the perspective, but the, the point would be if you're telling me it's splitting hairs, you could say the same thing about the position that we, 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 we have to, we can't let kids go back to school in August because it's going to knock two weeks off the, the vacation schedule. And, and look, let, let's also be honest um, with a lot of kids. Especially in the high school level, by the time August rolls around, you, you've got the football practices, you've got the band stuff. I mean, you've got a, a lot of those vacations are are over and done with, anyways, because that the kids are already back, if not back in the classrooms, they're already you know back with their regular sort of schedules. Now, again, I I think. I think that people should have the latitude to, to do this. And if in a school district that depends on, on tourism, whether it's the Dells or whether it's Elkhart Lake or Random Lake or whatever, and, and the school district decides, look, we're willing to make that trade that that's that's fine. I have no problem with it. But I do think there's a lot of other school districts where these vacation schedules, that, that last two weeks in August, it, it's not critical to supporting the businesses. And the truth of the matter is a lot of the families, if they want to go on vacation, they can go on vacation the first week in August or they can go on vacation in, in late July. But right now, given everything that's going on for the last year, when it comes to education, I really do believe you've got to get the kids back in school as soon as possible because I think it's been a lost year. Um, Andrea in Burlington, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
5: Hi, good afternoon. So. I'm going to preface this by saying I used to be, or well, I still am an educational professional, but I work in real estate now. Um, I was educated in the public school system in Wisconsin and graduated in 2000. I had an amazing public school experience. So um, I look at the kids now and I see all of the, the classes and things that they're required to do and all the stuff they have to do. And having an 11 year old and an almost 14 year old, they kind of start to panic and think, oh my gosh, they need to just be learning, they need to be kids. Yep. And I think living and working, I, I work in Elkhorn, but we sell a lot in Lake Geneva. Those kids, that economy is dependent on the vacation um, industry. And I don't think it's splitting hairs. I think that being able to self-determine a, in a district is essential to the finance of the district and I say this as an incredibly liberal human being you want to build a new school you have to have the money in the district I know our district in Burlington we applied for the waiver because Mm we're building a new middle school that is absolutely beautiful Um, my kids we're very privileged they go to Burlington Catholic Um, we have a wonderful grant program that my children can afford to go there because my husband and I are not wealthy, Um, but one thing that has come of this is if there are snow days, if you start earlier, my kids always start earlier uh, Mm -hmm. than the actual district. We've never had to make up a snow day, even little things like that. The teachers can be amenable to it. We just have to make sure we're taking care of everyone. And in urban areas where these kids have lost a lot of ground, due to maybe lack of access to technic technological stuff, as well as meals. I-, I think, you know what, I'm a parent. If I'm going to take my kids on vacation and I'm going in December, teacher, I will make sure my kids do that work. Yep. Um, yeah, and no, I'm, Andrea. Like, I'm I'm the yellow.
1: Right. No, Andre, no, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I see it. Look, look, th- this again, I, I think this is a local control thing. Um, well, here, Jeff, the kids not in person have had a year long summer vacation. We need to get them back now and skip all of summer break. Well, I'm not doing that. But Jeff, if you look at most outs most schools or in-person class I, classes outside of Milwaukee and Madison, um, I, I think you have to look at that. Right. I mean, this is a this is a situation again. What? Where, where have you been? But for this year, I think, when it comes to education, you've got to put the priority on let, let's figure out how to get the kids back at, as soon as possible. And I do stand with what I said earlier. I don't I do I don't think this is a one-size-fits-all situation, and I do think that the state gave in to the tourist industry 20 years ago. And I think you need to reevaluate this, which isn't to say for all the school districts, you, you, want to, you don't want to start until September 1st. Some, it makes sense to do it before, some not. College kids a number of people are making this point college kids routinely go back in in mid-august it's not that unusual jeff the sooner they go back the more they can make up for lost time i would hope most parents would support early return to school kids have had plenty of free time and need to get back for routine learning education all right back with more in just a minute this is jeff wagner
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's
1: Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Mike Spalding, my question is, so you've got the, the bourbon place. They're they're making the, the special bourbon mm-hmm. to re- celebrate the return of tailgating, but you don't think they're giving it out at the tailgate parties tonight? I don't think so. I think <laughs> it's a pre-tailgate pickup. Well, the <laughs> oh oh that, that, well, I, I I am going to the. I've got tickets. Going to the game tonight, so so there's not going to be somebody like handing out fifth suburban there at the game. I do not think so. It doesn't right. sound that way. But the drive-through, if you want to head downtown first, it's open until three forty this I, afternoon. I, so I, I see. So the, well, again, then I think you could also make the argument. That's probably not the best <laughs> idea. That go pick up the pick up the quart of bourbon and then head over to the tailgate thing. Probably not the best. I see. Okay. Well, it's it's. Yes, it's a novel sort of idea. Okay, and I think we'll probably pass on that. We typically throw a couple beers in the back of the car, but we'll make a point of, I think, standing behind behind my car at the tailgate and, and having those beers before we go into the game tonight. All right, Anthony Fauci, who is... This year's Cato Kalin, a kind of America's house guest. If you don't know the Cato Kalin reference, actually, he was um, a Nicolet High School graduate between me and my brother, as a matter of fact. And Cato Kalin was the guy that was at the O.J. Simpson house. Um, at the time that O.J. committed the murders, I know he I know the jury acquitted him, but we all know O.J. did it. And so, I mean, Cato Kalin, he had his 15 minutes of fame by sort of being America's house guest at the time. In some respects, Anthony Fauci is has become like a, a modern day Cato Kalin because he, hes he's everywhere. He's just absolutely everywhere. And my beef with Fauci, and I've said this before, is that he, he makes so many appearances and he's so clearly in love with, you know, being on and seeing himself on TV and enjoying his 15 minutes of fame that, that he comes and he gives advice and, and the advice, it, it just changes. I understand science changes from month to month, but, but Fauci's advice Changes from from day to day, and and sometimes you'll know, he'll say something on a Saturday, and then on Tuesday it's something different. I mean, last week the story was he was saying, "Well, I don't think we're going to see a new surge." All right, that's the big story. Then three days later, he's doing another TV show and he's saying, "Well, um, yeah, I think we're we're looking at a surge." And it's like, okay, well, where what's what what is the the case? And and maybe you wouldn't find yourself making so many inconsistent statements and causing people to kind of question where the science is if you didn't feel compelled to be on every news show and every cable tv talk show that that asks you sometimes maybe less is more well there was another example of that over the weekend one of the big questions is and and it's one where a lot of the health officials are struggling to explain with science why if you have been vaccinated and you've waited that two-week period why you should not feel comfortable going out in public and resuming a normal life. And the best they can come up with is, well, it is possible. We we don't have any science to prove this, but it is possible in theory that even though you've been completely vaccinated, you could still nevertheless get the virus, be asymptomatic, So you could get it, even though you've been vaccinated, not have any symptoms, and then transmit it to somebody that you come into contact with who hasn't been vaccinated. Now, there's no documentary evidence suggesting that if you follow the science, but, but that's That's the idea, and that's the line that's being, you know, passed around. To me, it would seem to me that you, you know, if you're going to say that, if we're really encouraging people to get vaccinated, you have to to give them the the carrot. And the carrot is, hey, once you get vaccinated, you can start getting back to normal. And I'm not saying not wear masks, but this idea that, you know, you're, you're not able to go out and socialize and do things, I think people find that hard to believe and hard to accept. And that's why yesterday, Anthony Fauci... America's Cato Kalin, appears on on MSNBC, and, you know, they ask him, oh, here's the question, what is the message to the vaccinated and unvaccinated Americans is what they should do, what should they be doing now? For example, eating and drinking indoors in restaurants and bars. Is that okay now? And Fauci says it's still not okay to gather indoors. So it, it doesn't make any difference whether you've been vaccinated or not. No, we don't think you should be going to restaurants. And, of course again it's just this sort of theoretical thing because even if you've been vaccinated you might 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 be that unicorn that still gets it doesn't know he has it or she has it and then pass it on to somebody who who's not vaccinated um no science suggesting that could could happen. Matter of fact, the CDC saying, well, we don't think that that's very likely at all. But but that's where we are. Okay. so against that backdrop, more and more people are getting vaccinated. The numbers I have in Wisconsin is that um, as of yesterday, 25 percent, one in four Members of the Wisconsin po- of Wisconsin population have been vaccinated. And the really good news is that among the most vulnerable populations, the the people who are older, the people with preexisting illnesses, um, the, the vaccination rate is a lot higher than that. So that's the good news. More and more people are being vaccinated every day. They've now opened it up. Anybody pretty much who wants a vaccination right now over the age of 16 can get one. That that's that matter of fact there if you listen to some of the stories we're running on the news the big problem is there people aren't showing up you know that they can do what a couple thousand vaccinations at the wisconsin center and they're 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 only filling like half the slots so now at least in some places it's even walk-in you don't have to make arrangements the vaccine is out there that is the good news it is plentiful and people are are taking advantage of this so against that backdrop you still see an increase. The, the COVID numbers in certain areas of the state are, are increasing. Now, the good news about this is that even though the numbers are going up, the deaths are not going up dramatically because the number of people who are getting infected tend to be younger. So it's not, not saying getting COVID is not a big deal, but it's not as big a deal if you're 25 years old and you get it. Chances are you're you're going to have a much easier time with that than somebody who's seventy five years old and diabetic and has a heart condition. So the good news is that even though the numbers are going up, the number of hospitalizations aren't dramatically going up. They're question unquestionably up. And the number of deaths aren't going up because the people who are getting sick tend to be younger, they tend to be healthier, and they tend to be able to recover. So that's that's the good news, even though You know, you you don't want to see these numbers go up at all. Well, against this backdrop, the city of Milwaukee, they've decided to go the other way. And the anticipation is that earlier this week or later on this week, the city of Milwaukee is going to move from where they are now, phase six, which pretty much allows broad scale reopening. And they're going to move to a newly created phase 5 this is a level that they they didn't have before but they're kind of sort of making it up as they go along and so this new phase that they're looking at well it would it would roll back for example Restaurants and bars without safety plans would be reduced from 50% to 25% capacity. Uh, churches, theaters, places of amusement would be reduced from 75 to 50% capacity. Museums and hotels reduced from 100 to 75%. Salons and spas would reduce their clients per service provider from 3 to 2. Schools? Schools would need to change from offering full in-person instruction to a hybrid learning model. Attendance for recreational activities would be reduced from 750 to 500. So they're they're talking about rolling this back. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is this the way to go? Number of vaccinations are going up, but the city of Milwaukee is considering imposing newer tighter restrictions on gatherings now this happens at the same time that a lot of suburbs are essentially eliminating all restrictions on gatherings is this going to make a difference Eight five five six one six one six twenty. and in the real world what is the effect of this for example if the city of Milwaukee says to a restaurant owner Okay, you've you you you've got to cut. You've got to go from 50% to 25%, right? Does it make any sense for that restaurant owner to stay open? And does that mean that people aren't going to go to restaurants? Won't they just get in their car and drive to West Allis or drive to Waukesha or drive to Glendale? 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Let's start with Matt in Oak Creek. Matt, good afternoon.
6: Hey, good afternoon. How are you?
1: Well, thank you. What do you think?
6: Like I, like I was telling your screener, I think you're going to get to a point where these businesses in mass are going to just start completely abandoning or not following these rules, because how are they expected to survive with these yo-yo up and down, right. you know, policies being put in place? You know, not to mention from, they, they keep saying follow the science, follow the science, but no science has really come out definitively stating that businesses and restaurants are the ones that are contributing to these upticks in
1: the virus. I, you know, Matt, let me just so, stop you. Bit, Matt. I'm going to let you finish, but let me stop that matter of fact I, I made a note of that when I was was getting ready to do this topic there, there where is the evidence that from the City of Milwaukee from the Health Commissioner where is the evidence like you say that the uptick in COVID cases can be traced back to people going into bars or, or restaurants or going to museums or you know going to school in an other than a hybrid learning fashion where is the evidence of that and and they don't have any you know if, if you you could point to it, maybe it would be more open to that, but they're just, it's this knee-jerk sort of stuff saying, well, our numbers are going up, so what we have to do is we have to roll back public gatherings without any sort of science saying where it is that, that these, these spikes are occurring.
6: I, I completely agree with that, and I think one of the prime examples that you can look at with all of this is is what's currently going on in Michigan with Gretchen Whitmore's, you know, policies right. going on. They have one of the most restrictive in the country, yet they're their rates are going through the roof. So I think people are losing faith with the people that have been put in place to manage this because they're seeing so many yo-yos on what to do and what not to do that nobody really believes what's being told to them anymore.
1: Well, right, and Matt. And that's why, I mean, I don't know if you caught it. When I was making the reference to the, this new Milwaukee standard that's doing this Phase 5, they've never had that before. It, it's just, it, it's kind of this, like, knee-jerk thing. Okay, we're going to make up the, this new standard that, that's out there. And I guess at this point in time, I just don't think you can... Tighten your restrictions. I don't think that you can lock down your way out of this situation. Plus, the more you tell people get vaccinated, which, by the way, I'm I'm a believer. I'm getting my second shot on on Wednesday. OK, I'm I, I'm in favor. I encourage you to get vaccinated. But the more once people get vaccinated, the more you tell them, oh, by the way, but even if you don't get vaccinated, well, we've got even if you get vaccinated, we've got these variants. We've got all these other things. Well, we, we're not sure you're going to be able to resume a normal life anyways, even though we don't have any science that really proves that point. Well, yeah, yeah, try to explain to people who are reluctant to get a vaccine if you're telling them that you you still can't go out, you can't socialize, and you can't sit in a restaurant, even though we don't have evidence that people sitting in the restaurants are where the spike is coming from. I was reading one story, and it was suggesting that at least among some of the younger people, if you're looking at where some of the spikes are coming from, it's youth sports. Okay. Well, all right. If that if that is really the case, okay, maybe it means you need to take a harder look at youth sports. But why can't we follow the science instead of a knee jerk reaction saying, okay, well, we need to move the bars and restaurants from fifty percent capacity back down to twenty five percent capacity. Which, if we do, you might as well close down. That's just the effect of this. Why, Why don't we? figure out where empirically where are the COVID cases coming from and then make the decisions accordingly. Isn't that following the, the science? And for people who have been vaccinated, for example, is there any reason... Really, is there any empirical evidence saying that if you've been vaccinated, you you shouldn't be able to gather with others in some bar or restaurant? And, And if so, I'm not seeing any of that, just this theoretical stuff. Well, it's an angel that's dancing on the head of a pin. You've been vaccinated. Maybe, maybe somebody somewhere can be the unicorn and get it and can pass it on to somebody else. Well, if that's the case, why get vaccinated? And by the way, don't misinterpret that. I believe in vaccinations. Tina in Milwaukee. Tina, you're on WTMJ.
4: Yeah, exactly. I mean, why get the vaccine if they won't let you go mask-free, go to a bar, go to a restaurant? It's just going to they're taking a step backwards and uh it's going to just hurt them. And the schools especially.
1: Well, it, it again All the
4: kids that are are in school that the the younger ones or the ones that are um, need that extra one-on-one help versus your parent doing the homework. They need somebody else to do that with them.
1: Right. I see. I think. I mean,
4: and th- then the parents are all going to suffer again. Well,
1: th- <laughs> right. Well, that, thank, right. And then you, you have this perpetual situation. Then the question becomes: Okay, when, when is when is enough enough? I mean, if if people get vaccinated. And you've got your vaccines and you still tell them, well, that, that's not enough. I mean, are we now in this permanent situation? Look, and I, I understand that there are variants out there. The evidence is that, um, against almost all of the variants that if you're vaccinated, it, it's, you've got protection. Some of the variants are more, um, contagious than, than others, but, you at some point in time, what are we when are we going to say to the people who've been vaccinated, okay, you you've been the responsible thing. The twenty five percent of the Wisconsinites have been vaccinated, and my guess is that's probably gonna be up to thirty five or forty percent by the end of next week, maybe, as more and more people get that. When are we going to say to them, Okay, you, you need to you're you're able to go about and you know it re- enjoy your life and start resuming normal stuff. And if that means you've got to wear a mask inside, oh, okay, we I guess we can do that for a, a while longer. But what is the end game here? I mean, I'm not seeing that from these health professionals. And when you're seeing this, let's go the other way and let's start locking down stuff again. To me, I, I, first of all, I just don't think people are going to obey it. Secondly, it's going to be economically devastating, and third, I'm not sure it's the best way to work this out. We need to encourage people to get vaccines, and now that there's plenty of vaccines available, uh, we, we should be telling people get those vaccines, and then, then the olive branch is that you get to have normalcy in your life. Back with more in just a minute.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Well, another one bites the dust uh, on Milwaukee. Reporting that uh, the tavern at Turner Hall. Turner Hall is, of course, the historic building across the street from what what used to be the Bradley Center. You know, down the block now from Pfizer Forum, but just a, a you know a great place to go for a beer and a great historic setting. Uh, the tavern at Turner Hall, which was the first level. And I'm sure many of you have been to that over over time. Matter of fact, uh, we did uh, a number of our WTMJ Christmas shows. We did it in the upstairs area, the the ballroom upstairs. This was the first level of it. That the ballroom is still operated by the Paps Theater Group, and so that they will at some point in time presumably continue to do shows. But the bar and restaurant that was on the first level closed last March, and now on Milwaukee reporting that it's not uh, not going to reopen. So uh, another one. Sort of bites the dust, then it's very unfortunate. Hopefully somebody else will figure out a way to maybe reopen it because that was just, it was just a great, just a great place to go. Hey, I made mention in our last segment about one of my frustrations, for example, what's going on in the city of Milwaukee and the way, the way people approach these COVID shutdowns right now, despite the fact that we're getting more and more people vaccinated, is the knee jerk reaction is we're going to close this and we're going to close that without any hard evidence. As to where where is this spreading? Where where are people contracting COVID? Where are the and now it's it's primarily younger people that are getting it. As more and more older people end up getting vaccinated, where is this coming from? And if 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 you want to target closures to where it's coming from, that that's fine. But you should know. Well, there's a story in the Wall Street Journal that kind of makes the point. I was alluding to this earlier. Recent rise in U.S. COVID-19 cases driven by younger people. Uh, Epidemiologists, public health authorities point to school sports as a major source of transmission. Younger people who haven't been vaccinated are helped driving a rise in new COVID-19 cases. Health officials are finding five states, Michigan, New York, Florida, Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Let me just stop that. I want to make a point I made last week. Remember, mid-March, Texas opened up. Texas did away with all the state restrictions and everybody's saying, Oh, this is going to be terrible. Well, okay. Texas isn't one of those five states where you have the explosion of COVID cases. So what, what does that tell you? Maybe it tells you that the restrictions aren't necessarily the key. Anyhow, five states account for nearly 42% of newly reported cases in Michigan. Um, adults aged 20 to 39 have the highest daily case rates, new data shows. Case rates for children aged 19 and under are at a record more than quadruple, quadruple from a month ago, according to state data. All right, so that begs the question, you know, why? Because, you know what, for example, why would you if you if you had those numbers in Milwaukee, why would you necessarily like close a a bar? Because, you know, you got to be 21 years old to be in the in the bar. So, you know, if it's younger kids, what, where is the connection? And anyhow, public health authorities are now pointing to school sports as a major source of COVID-19 transmission. Since January, K-12 sports transmission in Michigan has been highest in basketball, um, with 376 cases and 100 clusters. Hockey, they have it. Wrestling, they have it overall um, cases and clusters have occurred in 15 sports settings, data from the state shows. Now, I bring that up because, for example, in Michigan, the liberal governor of Michigan is is resisting efforts to shut down. said, so I'm, I'm not going to go back to the lockdowns. And maybe part of that is based on something that it doesn't seem like they're doing in Milwaukee, following the science. If you can't tie the explosion in covid cases to let's say people going out to restaurants right then why why lock down the restaurants if instead you're looking at the data and you're saying, hey, it's primarily younger people and it, it's it's a lot of these school-age people and we're tracing it back to school sports. Well, maybe, and I, ju- I just say maybe, maybe the answer is, all right, you dial back the school sports programs if that's what your concern is, or you balance out the value of the school sports programs versus the, the kids that are getting COVID. But, but at least that's science-driven. It's not the knee-jerk reaction. And if you're wondering why the governor of Michigan is resisting calls to lockdown, I think it's because she's looking at the numbers and saying, Look, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna go through this. I'm not gonna do what one of our callers was describing, this yo yo thing with businesses, and continue to put them through this unless I'm reasonably convinced that gee, I'm making the the person that runs the hardware store or that owns the hair salon, making them close down or substantially limit their business, I'm not going to put them through that again unless I'm convinced that that's where the spike in numbers are coming from. And more and more that they're looking at it, I think they're seeing where the spikes are coming from, and it's not those places. In Milwaukee, as in Wisconsin, we continue with this kind of like one-size-fits-all approach that, to me – isn't workable, and more importantly, just doesn't follow the science. All right, when we come back, Amazon yes, Union no.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: I want to double back on something we, we talked about briefly on Friday. I've been thinking about it all weekend. If you haven't been paying attention to this, um, Amazon, which is the, the, the huge, you know, the huge behemoth, Amazon is non-unionized. One of the, the unions made a huge attempt at trying to unionize a, an Amazon plant in, in Alabama. And this has been going on for the last several months a ton of resources were put into this. Matter of fact, Joe Biden sent out a video in, in endorsing the, this union activity. The union organizers thought that this was the best chance they had of, of in a long time of getting a, a foothold into like an Amazon plant. And so there was all this money that was spent on it. And the idea was, hey, if we can unionize here, we can use this momentum to try to unionize Amazon and all these other different places. Huge battle was fought. The votes were tallied and uh, the union lost big time. Um, there are there about 5,000 people that worked at the facility um, and somewhere north of 3,000 voted at this and the the numbers were were staggering the the non the union no vote was about 70 percent I mean so this this wasn't a close election this was just I mean it it was a landslide and so despite spending all this money and putting all these resources and and thinking they had the ideal situation and here you know Amazon is a sweatshop and this is terrible they couldn't convince the workers in, by an overwhelming margin, they couldn't convince the workers that they'd be better off with the union. So so what happened? And now they're, they're starting to do interviews with a number of the workers who voted in this, and, and this is it. First of all, in in Alabama, the minimum wage in the state is the same as the federal minimum wage of $7.25 an hour. Amazon's minimum wage is 15 bucks an hour. So already, if you work for Amazon, you're making double what the minimum wage is at all sorts of other companies. In addition, Amazon is offering health care benefits, and they're offering retirement benefits. So the union was saying, "Well, okay, here, here's what we can offer you." And um, they said, "Well, if, if you go with a union, you can. Uh, we, we might be able to get you more break time. <laughs> okay, all right, we, we can get you more break time. Um, we can." You know, I, I know some of you are unhappy about how you're you're monitored by the company. Well, we we can negotiate that, and um, we we understand that some of you are unhappy with with how quickly you're supposed to work. We we can negotiate over the the rate of how how fast you have to fill packages, get you a little bit more break time, and you know, renegotiate for you. And the union member and the the workers overwhelmingly said, "Hey, look, we're, we're we're getting double the minimum wage. We've got retirement. We've we've got health care. And yeah, would." we like an extra five minutes of break time? Well, well, sure, but why should we send you money, you know, for that? All in all, we're treated really well. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, some of the commentary is, oh, this just shows how all the laws are skewed against union organizers and things of, of the like. To me, that's not the case at all. To me, what you have here is you you have, first of all, a population that doesn't necessarily work for their entire career at at one job. It's, It's not like... Maybe you know working for GM back in the in the fifties or the forties where you get the job and then you're you're going to stay there for thirty or forty years. I, I think a lot of times people are, are transitory. They they work in different jobs. So one of our callers on Friday made the point about seniority isn't as important. What's important to people are retirement plans and health care plans and and wages and and yes some of these working conditions are a factor, but. You're, you're not going to say, "Hey, I've got it pretty good here, but I'd like an extra couple minutes of a break time, so I'm going to blow up this system that I think is pretty successful. My point is, unless unions figure out a way to be much more compelling and convincing that this th- they're just doomed to defeat in the private sector because as long as companies, especially uh, especially now, as long as companies treat their employees reasonably well, you're going to have a tough time selling unionization. And this is a big thing for Amazon. And I think it's a big thing for other companies moving forward. The way Amazon handled this and the way they treated their employees, I think, is the lesson for other companies as well. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where do unions go from here? We discuss in a minute. <laughs> Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Okay, here are the numbers. Um, in the private sector, right now, unions represent six point three percent of workers. In 1973, so 50 years ago, 24.2%. So a substantial decline. Um, what's happened is, let's see, union members accounted for, and this includes public sector unions, accounted for about 10.8% of the total U.S. workforce last year, down from 24% in 1973. A story I'm looking at in the Wall Street Journal talks about how some of the big employers, like the Amazons of the world, Walmart, McDonald's, they've been targeted by unions for union drives, and, and essentially they, they failed almost all the time, in part because th- these big companies, I think, are, are sensitive to things. Like I say, at Am- in Alabama with Air- Amazon, they, they're they already paying double the minimum wage. They're already offering retirement plans. They're already offering health insurance, and you get to that point, point, I think a lot of the workers say, well, we, we don't have a union, and we're already so much better off then a lot of our similarly situated um, colleagues, what? why would we do it? Uh, Jeff, I was a supervisor at a union facility for several years. One of the reasons I left the job after 16 years was because of the union. If Amazon went union, costs would go up, more employee wages would go to causes they don't agree with, and customer service will go down. I think there was a place for unions about 60 years ago. Better labor laws have made them obsolete. Um, Jeff, I'll bet that if they take that vote up here, there will be a different outcome. My nephew works in the Kenosha plant, and they are not happy with their working conditions and pay. Okay, well, I mean, we'll see. I'm just telling you, history history says um, no. Jeff, when left to their own agencies, large corporations like Amazon and Walmart are able to provide their workers with benefits and a decent salary because there's profitable. The employees don't see a need to uh, for the union to inject themselves in a relationship when they already have a good Set up. Um, that's it, Jeff. What you have is smart workers who know that don't have to pay others to represent you and take your money to do it. I've been in two unions, and they took my money and promised things that candidly never happened. Why? Well, I mean, I think part of the problem the unions had in this particular situation was you're picking on a company, and I say picking on it. You have the right to give people the opportunity to unionize, but you're you're picking on a company that. you're you're not talking about wages. You're not talking about health care. You're saying, well, you'd like a little more break time. Okay, well, that's you'd like a little more break time. You'd like that the quotas on how many boxes you have to fill have to be lifted and all. And, And those are all nice things that I think, but they're on the periphery, I think, of what's really important to the workers, the priorities being, hey, we want money. And we want retirement benefits, and we want decent health care. And you're saying, "Well, okay, we can help you on this." But the workers are sitting there saying, "Well, okay, that's great. Yeah, maybe I can get five more minutes of break time." But if we go union, is my Am I gonna is my hourly wage gonna go down to twelve bucks an hour? Am I going to, you know, lose some of the health care that I have? And it was that great unknown which caused, I think, this overwhelming rejection. Like I say, it wasn't even close. 70 30. I think union organizers in the private sector got to look at what happened and figure out the message what they are selling right now is not resounding with American workers. Doesn't mean they can't find a more attractive message, but the typical way they approach things isn't working now. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios
0: at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now
1: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Try as I might, I just don't see how it makes sense to spend four hundred plus million dollars to enlarge the Milwaukee, Wisconsin Center convention facility. And yet, that is precisely what people are are doing. Now, you can argue that the convention center is is undersized. You could argue that we have trouble competing for certain... Milwaukee is never going to be Las Vegas. It's never going to be, you know, some of the other... It's never going to be Los Angeles. But, you know, you, you can argue that, okay, our convention center was a little bit small. So maybe we would miss out on some business that um, would otherwise we, we might have been able to compete with Indianapolis or something like that. All, all right, you, you can make that argument, but I would argue that right now, To do what they are about to do, which is to spend 400 plus million dollars, a bunch of which the taxpayers could be on the hook on, to expand a convention facility when the convention business is completely and totally dead and probably isn't going to be coming back, if at all, for a long time, is absolute insanity. Now, I mean, here is the reality. Downtown, and I'm not just talking about Milwaukee, but this is fair to say Milwaukee is no is not unique from other different um, urban areas. Milwaukee is dead downtown right now. Chicago is dead downtown. New York is dead downtown. The New York Times had a piece the other day talking about how the property values in, in downtown Manhattan have dropped just in the last year 25%. Which is putting, you know, a, a real um, stranglehold on some of these cities that depend on property tax revenue. But why why is this happening? Well, it's because, first of all, you have COVID that shut down a lot of workplaces. More and more people have been working from home, and as we have talked about in the past, I don't think that that's ever going to change. Will will some companies bring back people? Of course, uh, of, of course they will. But is it reasonable to think that any time in the near future, you're going to see companies operating in the way they did before COVID? That is to say, people aren't working remotely. We've got everybody coming in. And and the answer is no. It's just not going to happen. A lot of companies have figured out that, okay, we we can maybe make this a permanent thing working at home. Or even if it's not going to be permanent, we can... We can do it partially. So maybe we don't need four floors in a a downtown office building. We can get by with one, or we can get by with two. In addition, you have all these businesses. I mean, think about downtown Milwaukee, but this is true in other urban areas. You have all these other businesses that exist to service the downtown office crowd. You know, we've got um, all these restaurants that depend on the lunch business. You've got bars that depend on the after work crowd, the people that, you know, we, we have the happy hours and, and the folks that are staying there. You have all the, the clothing stores, all the different shops that depend on, hey, people going out on their lunch hour and, and shopping. Well, that those businesses are by and large gone because there's not that critical mass of people. And I don't see that coming back. That's the reality that downtown buildings are being faced with. On top of it, you talk about travel, and, you know, um, if if you go to airports, some airports are thriving. Try to fly into Fort Myers right now, and you see, you know, they're doing great. But what that is, is that's that's vacation travel. That is leisure travel. That's not the business travel. And more and more companies, I think, have found that while in some cases – there, there's nothing like that in-person meeting. You know, you, you get on the plane, you fly halfway around the country, and, and you meet with the client. And there's always going to be some of that. There's no question about it. But what is it going to be over the next few years? Maybe 50% of what it was? Because a lot of companies are finding we don't need to have that travel expense. We don't need to put people on the road all the time. We, we've been able to figure out how to do this by people working remotely. And when it comes to conventions... My goodness! You know, when do you think you're going to see the next major sort of convention or trade show or thing of things of the like? You know, first of all, companies aren't comfortable spending the money to send people there, and secondly, we, we've all gone virtual. Um, more and more people are saying, "Hey, we we can." We don't have to spend all this money to send an army of people out to fill in the blank, you know, for a week for a convention here and then a week there. We can do all this stuff remotely. I know somebody who makes a living, and and what they do is they run the video for conventions, and and actually they're they're doing okay. Matter of fact, their services are more in demand because all this stuff is virtual. You know, you you still have the the meetings. The doctors' groups get together, the lawyers' groups get together, but it's it's all virtual. And so, yeah, there's a demand for the people that do the IT. But as far as, you know, are people going to actually rent the big halls and fill up the hotels? it's it's not going to happen and at the same time in Milwaukee we are now getting ready to make a major expansion of the convention center and the people that are pushing it their argument is well first of all money is relatively cheap now and 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 it is if you're you know doing bonding and interest and things like that secondly they're saying well we think that we think that the convention business business travel all this stuff we think it's going to be back in the next 2 years Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, look into your crystal ball, because I'm sorry, I, I just don't see it. I think the pandemic has permanently changed the way that businesses are going to operate. And I'm not saying that there might not be businesses that bring their people back, but a lot aren't. That's just the reality. And I do think that a lot of places are going to look at this and say, hey, this convention business, you know, the, the giant trade shows and things like that, we're, it's just not worth it, at least not for the next five or ten years. 855-616-1620, it looks to me like we are about to once again, have a giant white elephant, kind of like the Milwaukee Theater is, a, a giant white elephant. But in this case, that white elephant's gonna cost 400 plus million dollars, and the tax payers may be on the hook for some of it. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line, is the convention business. And downtowns in general, but particularly the convention business. you see business travel and the convention business coming back in a big way anytime soon? My answer would be, I don't think so. We discuss next.
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff
1: Wagner. 855-616-1620. Jeff, had there not been a pandemic expansion of the convention center might have made sense considering record low borrowing costs but now that many small conventions will likely permanently transform into virtual events there's no need also while interest rates are low remember the cost of materials and labor are at record highs due to unprecedented demand for construction a day late a bad idea Jeff money might be cheap right now but building materials are 40 to 50 percent higher than they were a year ago yeah I mean and there's huge backlogs on stuff. Try ordering furniture and see how long that you um, have to wait. Jeff, um, are the voters in Milwaukee ever going to figure out all this stuff between the trolley and the continual expansion of facilities that aren't used? They're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on things that never work out yet we keep bringing people in. Jeff, the cost of building is not cheap now. The cost of lumber and supplies have gone through the roof. This would be the last thing I would think about doing at this point in time, expanding. Jeff, I don't believe large conventions are going to happen anytime soon, especially with COVID on the scene. Maybe in the future, but for right now, if anything, groups are going to remain small and not rise to the level of an expansion to the Wisconsin Center. I also think that it's... I also think that there's going to be business decisions that are going to be made. And I think there's just like a lot of businesses are reassessing, do we need to have four floors in the downtown high rise and are coming up with the conclusion that, no, we, we probably don't. We, we we can get by with with two floors. Um, I, I think a lot of businesses are sitting there looking and saying, all right, we used to we used to send 15 people to the X, Y, Z trade show. All right. Well, well, now. Do, does that really make economic sense to do it um, are other companies going to be sending people there where is the bang for our buck and you know maybe they'll come back but I, I i don't I don't see them coming back in any sort of big way you know any anytime soon I think business business travel in general and the convention business are are going to be one of the, the lagging indicators if they come back at all in in the the first hand as opposed to virtual basis they're they're going to be they're going to be one of the last things that come back and i don't think that's going to be for a while all right james on the south side james you're on wtmj
6: yes uh, look at what happened at the democratic convention that we were supposed to have last year uh, i know it's during the uh, pandemic and everything else but uh look at how, how how that blew up in our face and stuff but This thing uh, should have been built probably maybe a bunch of years back when we really needed it, but it ain't going to happen now, and they're trying to build downtown stuff around Pfizer and everything else and stuff like that. No, I don't think so, and I think probably by the end of this decade or farther out, just like you are, saying uh, before we're going to see any uh, light tunnel, they're uh, doing things for us to be a positive why should we all be on the hook for something that we don't need just like you said with the trolley and everything
1: else well i mean thanks i mean again it's look i i understand the argument that's being made is we we want to be ready there is a there's going to be there's going to be an explosion there's going to be all this pent-up demand and and we want to be ready for it and and i understand that and i think that i think that is true for some things for example When it comes to leisure travel, I I think there's an incredible pent-up demand. I think, for for example, for cruises. Now, it looks less and less likely like you're going to have a resurgence of of the cruise. There there are people who absolutely love the cruise. And I think it looks less and less likely that that's going to happen in 2021 because we're We're still in the process of getting vaccinated, and if you're looking at, like, Europe, Europe continues to be largely a mess when it comes to the rollout of things. But but there's going to be a point... Where boom, that that spigot is going to be turned back on, and, and I think people if you like to take cruises, I think people are going to be taking cruises if you want to go to Europe and you 've been waiting to see Paris or you 've been waiting to see um, you know berlin or or you 've been waiting to take that cruise on the Rhine or take the cruise on the Danube. I, I think people are going to do it i can 't tell you when, but I think that there is going to be that demand. On the other hand, when it comes to business travel, where you know people have to to pay for it, where you have to go to the CEO and say, "All right, let let's figure out," you know, we, we've our, our industry's been in a tough situation. We're, we're trying to figure out how to get through this and how to survive. Um, explain to me why we need to send 20 people on airplanes to go to this different convention. Why can't we just do it virtually and not have any cost? And I think a lot of people are going to say, well, yeah. So, I mean, will, will, is it possible that conventions will come back? Yes. Is that going to be one of the last things Absolutely. I, I don't think that, I don't think you can make any credible argument as to how that won't. If I were in the travel industry, for example, I mean, that's where I would be putting my, my eggs. That's the basket. It would be, hey, over the next couple of years, I think you're going to see a huge explosion of, of that leisure travel and the vacation travel. But for the big time business travel, probably never coming back to what it was expected. And so, you know, we're, we're going to spend $400 million building this extensive facility, which Maybe it's gonna be state of the art and maybe it's gonna be great. And some people are texting me saying, Well, there's there's you gotta understand that there's uh, girls volleyball or volleyball tournaments with kids. You know, they they can fill it up a few weekends a year and, and, and you know, maybe I'm I'm sure there'll be some things that you can do to to bring stuff in. But is it going to be enough? I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot of volleyball tournaments, you know, to to fill up to, you know, justify a four hundred million dollar expansion. The Milwaukee Theater, whatever they call that now, which is at the site of the old Milwaukee Auditorium, that was a giant white elephant. It's been pretty much a failure since we spent all that money renovating it. I think this is going to be another one of those situations. And it, and my concern is the taxpayers are going to be on the hook at some point in time. Just the worst timing possible. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.